0: It's been another week of mystery about Enda Kenny's future. Will he stay? Will he go? When will it all happen? And might he still be pushed? And this week we've said goodbye to a giant of Northern Ireland politics who, for better or worse, really made his mark on this island. I'm Gavin Riley, and that was The Week. We will get to Martin McGuinness and the difficult question of his legacy in a little while, but before that we have to go back to Enda Kenny's future, a question which was reparked by the Taoiseach in New York last week. Here's a quick reminder.
1: What I did say to my own party was that I would deal with this matter effectively and conclusively, and that's my intention. Could, could that be but I think, these, be? I think these are priorities that take precedence over anything else there. You can't have a situation where you have no leadership in Northern Ireland, and where we have to define from a European Union point of view where Alan would be.
0: Previously he said he'd deal with his leadership once he came home, but now he's come home and he's dealt with it and he says that he'll deal with it again in up to five or six weeks' time. Michael Noonan in Brussels the following day might have hinted that it could go back even further. Mr
2: Noonan, will you stay on as finance minister if the Taoiseach
3: starts Well, it'll be a matter for the next Taoiseach uh, to select the candidates, And uh, I'm sure that will become clear uh, before too long but the sequence of negotiation that is now outlined and uh, the Taoiseach's uh, very successful trip to Washington and a further illustration of his competence in international affairs, uh, I think the Taoiseach will be around for a little while yet. How long? Well, it's a matter for the Taoiseach, obviously. It's not a matter for me. But I've outlined to to you uh, the negotiation timeline from the
0: European perspective. There is now to be an EU summit on Brexit on April the 29th. It might be a week or two after that, before the rest of Europe has its ducks in a row and we've finally agreed exactly what we want out of the European negotiations about Brexit and a hard border and everything else. And if Kenny is to remain for the start of those talks afterwards, then he could be there, possibly into the summer. And meanwhile, in the North, we could have an equally long vacuum because if there's no government there by Monday, and as of now, you'd have to say it doesn't look too likely, uh, then there'll be a second election, which could delay the whole process by at least another month, if not much more. Now, Kenny went into that parliamentary party meeting on Wednesday night not intending to make any major announcement about his leadership, but with a few TDs prepared to raise it even if he didn't, Kenny simply repeated what he had told us in New York. The start of the Brexit talks and the new government instalment had to come first. 1TD privately told me afterwards that they felt the PP had been misled first time out, but nobody in the room complained and Kenny's leadership lumbers on. Even Fianna Fáil's Michael McGrath raising the issue in the Dáil on Tuesday got absolutely nowhere.
4: At a time when we are entering the most critical negotiations for the future of our country, we need to know who's in charge. Thank you, Deputy. Because you have personally taken on overall responsibility for Brexit for managing the process, for leading the negotiations on Ireland's behalf. Who is going to be in charge when Ireland enters these negotiations in late May, early June? The people deserve a straight answer. I
1: intend to make my point very strongly on the 29th of April at the European Council meeting. We've prepared for this very well, Deputy McGrath. It's not a laughing matter, but you won't be forced to find out.
0: Not that this was in any way unique, by the way. Labour's Brendan Howland later that day also tried to get into Kenny to answer a question... He wanted to know why we're selling 25% of AIB, potentially raising up to 3.5 billion euro, if we're then forced to use the money simply to pay off our national debt and not to reinvest the money in other projects instead.
3: Diverting everything we get from the sale of AIB would impact about 1.5% on debt, a small impact. The social good that it would yield if we deployed it to meet our infrastructural deficits would be infinitely greater. Can you clarify what efforts you've made to secure changes in the Stability and Growth Pact rules to allow us to make the urgent investment we now me- need to make in our vital infrastructure, particularly having regard to Brexit?
1: The Minister has said that based on the advice he has received that uh, an IPO is the, is the best route to recoup the state's investment in AIB and the key objective is to maximise the proceeds that we can recover over time Um, Obviously, uh, the state invested 20.8 billion, as you know, in AIB through a range of instruments during the financial crisis, has since recovered 6.6 billion through capital repayments, interest income, and fees, and still owns about 99.9% of the uh, ordinary share capital. So the primary objective of the Minister and the Government uh, is to recover all of this investment from AIB and we believe that this is a a realistic objective over the medium to long term. There are no changes in the stability and growth rules here, it's a transfer. Uh, in respect of these uh, paper shares for cash which will go towards debt reduction.
0: No answer there either. And meanwhile, there was another question for which we can't unfortunately get the audio, where Sinn Féin's Mary Lou MacDonald asked the Taoiseach what extra initiative we could take to get a government installed in the North before Monday's deadline. Kenny revealed no formal ideas on exactly how ma- that might be done. He appeared to suggest that it was up to the local parties in the North to redouble their efforts. Now, it's worth remembering that a couple of weeks ago when we had the Morris McCabe scandal about the Tusla file and what Enda Kenny knew and what he didn't know, it's worth remembering Kenny never really gave any formal explanation as to how he gave the public an account of a phone call with Catherine Zappone that never actually happened and how he told the Dáil that he hadn't discovered the Tusla angle in the whole affair until the Thursday afternoon when it had been revealed in the doll on the Wednesday afternoon. Now, Kenny was, to some degree, let off the hook because he seemed to intimate shortly afterwards that he was about to stand down. But this isn't the first time recently that Kenny has answered a question woefully different than the one he was asked. There was one example in the White House which we'll get to in just a little while again. Here's another exchange with Fianna Fáil's Declan Branagh a couple of weeks ago when he raised concerns about how commercial rates are crippling small businesses around the country.
3: The commercial rates payers are absolutely crippled uh, with an archaic and outdated method uh, of uh, commercial rates and... I I do believe it's time that a fair system based on ability to pay with a self-assessment system and uh, obviously uh, coupled
1: with uh, business turnover. I think it's fair to say that that ratepayers were always a target of uh, local authorities over very many years and that's why uh, the government introduced... Uh, the devolution of authority to to local authority members to have an opportunity to reduce rates by up to 15% if they so desired. Secondly, uh, Alaskan-Korla, that's why uh, property taxes were introduced not only to bring an income to the uh, government but also to reduce the burden on commercial ratepayers who were always the brunt of of uh, an attack every year.
0: Now, Kenny might be right to argue that property tax was introduced partly so that councils had leeway to lower commercial rates. But if that is the case, then it's not why councils also have the scope to cut property taxes, because the less you bring in from property taxes, the more you have to charge in commercial rates to make up for it. And all of that aside, the ability to cut property tax by 15% has nothing to do with commercial rates, and how they affect small local businesses. So, if Kenny wants to hang around for a while to oversee the start of the Brexit process, which is the most significant economic and diplomatic shock Ireland has had in decades, that's fair enough. And perhaps his familiarity around the European table might well serve us in good stead. Bear in mind how well he did in Washington when no one expected him to. But for as long as he's around, Enda Kenny still has to be held responsible for his performances in office, just as he always was it doesn't do any of us any favour to expect anything less. 100 to 102 Today FM. Truth be told, we fully expected the past week to be a fairly quiet one in the political world until we woke up on Tuesday morning to hear of the death of one of Ireland's real political giants.
5: Today FM.
4: Thanks Ian, good
0: morning.
3: I think what people are going to witness today is not hype, but history. And what we're going to see today is one of the mightiest leap forward That this process has seen
4: Martin McGuinness, the former Deputy First Minister of Northern Ireland, there he has died this morning at the age of 66. In over 40 years in politics, he went from being an IRA commander to the leader of a peaceful power sharing government. It was
0: news which had not sadly come straight out of the blue. We'd known for a few weeks that McGuinness's condition, a rare heart condition called amyloidosis, had deteriorated quite badly. He had died overnight on Monday night, Tuesday morning at Altman Gelvin Hospital in Derry, surrounded by family and close friends. This, at the risk of repeating myself, is the obituary package that I filed for Today FM's National Lunchtime News that day.
6: Hello. Are you well?
5: Thank you very much. I'm, well, I'm still alive. Nice it? to see you again. <laughs> Quite busy. In
0: decades past, the idea of a former IRA commander speaking so freely with Queen Elizabeth would have boggled the mind. But such was the journey travelled by Martin McGuinness, from paramilitary to peacemaker, from subversive to statesman. He was born far from such diplomacy. Born and raised in the bog side of Derry, an underprivileged part of an underprivileged city, an Irish nationalist in a British state, As a teen, Martin McGuinness became active in the provisional IRA and quickly rose through its ranks, second in command of the Derry Brigade at 21 on Bloody Sunday. We
6: don't believe that winning elections and winning any amount of votes will bring freedom in Ireland. At the end of the day, it will be the cutting edge of the IRA which will bring freedom.
0: But after prison terms in the Republic for IRA membership and possession of explosives, McGuinness claimed to have left the IRA. And as Sinn Féin embraced the ballot box, McGuinness became more of a pragmatist. He was a back-channel to Britain during the 1981 hunger strikes and became Sinn Féin's chief negotiator. In 1998, those negotiations resulted in Good Friday and power-sharing with unionists. Good luck. Have a happy Easter. God bless all the people of Northern Ireland. Former Taoiseach Bertie Ahern, also a part of those talks, says McGuinness took great risks
4: by turning his back on violence. He became a huge critic of those that wanted to be involved in dissident republicanism, spoke out stronger than anybody against that, which was huge bravery. Yes, he, he was involved in the violence and the troubles, but he moved all the way to a democratic political leader. And
0: even those who fell victim to IRA violence, like Colin Parry, whose son Tim died in the 1993 Warrington bombing, believed McGuinness's ultimate goal was peace.
6: I don't forgive Martin, I don't forgive the IRA, nor does my wife, nor do my children. But setting aside forgiveness, the fact, simple fact is, I found Martin McGuinness an easy and pleasant man to talk to. A man who I believe was sincere in his desire for peace and maintaining the peace process.
0: Under Good Friday, McGuinness became Education Minister. In 2007, with Sinn Féin rising in the polls, he became Deputy First Minister alongside his most formidable foe.
3: As for Ian Paisley, I want to wish you all the best as we step forward towards the greatest yet most exciting challenge of our lives.
0: But McGuinness and Paisley became unlikely friends, dubbed the Chuckle Brothers. And after Paisley moved on, a more mellow McGuinness set his sights on the presidency of Ireland. I have
5: the ability to work with anybody, as I've proved, in working with Ian Paisley and Peter Robinson and many others. I value our unionist brothers and sisters, and I hope to bring to all of that
0: In 2011 he came a creditable third in a strong field of seven candidates but returning to Stormont he never rekindled Paisley's friendship with Peter Robinson or Arlene Foster and when the latter refused to step down earlier this year over the controversial Cash for Ash scheme a visibly frail McGuinness by then diagnosed with amyloidosis pulled the plug.
6: Does the D.P. think this will be a return to the status quo? There will be no return to the status quo except on Terms that are acceptable to champagne.
0: Not everyone will forgive Martin McGuinness for his paramilitary past, but he will be more keenly remembered as someone who put that life behind him and who desperately wanted power sharing to work. My journey's been a long journey. I've been over 25 years working on building the peace. Someone who even went so far as to shake hands with the Queen. Good.
6: You worked, worked really
0: well. Gavin Riley, Today FM News. I,
6: I'm still a Republican.
0: It was fairly clear from the outset that not everyone would be quite so saddened by Martin McGuinness's passing. Northern Ireland's recent history is tortured and complex to say the very least. Many would have preferred not to remember his later peaceful years, but instead to remember what he had overseen during his time as an IRA commander. Arlene Foster might well have been one of those people. The DUP leader was removed as First Minister in McGuinness's last act in politics, and she had good reason to despise the IRA. When she was a schoolgirl, the IRA tried to murder her father because he was a reservist in the RUC. When she was 18, the IRA bombed her school bus because its driver was a part time member of the loyalist paramilitary group, the UDR. Driving up to Derry for Martin McGuinness's funeral on Thursday, I tuned into BBC Radio Ulster, where Jim Allister, who's a member of the Stormont Assembly for the more hardline TUV Unionist Party, articulated the difficulty that many would have with a celebration of Martin McGuinness's life. He was speaking on the Stephen Nolan show. Uh,
1: You have to hear Martin McGuinness regret, express remorse for, uh, repudiate the actions of himself and the IRA. What I have constantly heard to his death was the justification of those actions for which there can be no justification. Uh, I have constantly heard him elevate his uh, Republican code of honour above telling the truth. We had it at SAVO. We've had it every time since. Uh, so, you know, there is nothing there for me to respect uh, when I realise that what we're talking about is an unrepentant terrorist, and that um, is uh, the epitaph. Um, um.
0: Those sentiments weren't unique to him either. Norman Tebbett, whose wife was paralysed after the IRA bombing of the Tory conference in Brighton in 1985, said McGuinness was a coward for never having admitted to or apologised for the IRA's more recent campaigns of violence. But Arlene Foster nonetheless decided to attend the funeral of a former IRA commander. She and Peter Robinson were applauded on their way in and out of St. Columbus Church on the Long Tower Road on Derry's Bogside. Inside, after McGuinness had been sent off from his home in Westland Terrace and led by a bagpiper throughout Free Derry in crowds which I have to say were in some cases five, six, seven people deep, Father Michael Canney led a traditional Catholic service.
4: In St. Paul's second letter to Timothy, which John read to us, Uh, in our second reading the Apostle Paul said at the time of his departure had come and he was prepared to face the Lord the righteous judge he had finished the race he had kept the faith Martin as you and I know he too now has finished the race he too kept the faith he too has now come face to face with the righteous judge who judges all Fairly.
0: Not, though, that everything about the service was strictly Catholic. Two figures from other denominations stood out for their own contributions during the prayers from the faithful. The first six of them were offered by McGuinness's grandchildren. The final two came after impromptu remarks from the leaders of other churches. The first was Reverend Harold Good, who oversaw the IRA's decommissioning process back in 2006.
2: And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Stand with the breastplate of righteousness in its rightful place. Stand with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith With which you can extinguish all those flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in that Spirit on every occasion with all kinds of prayers and requests, and keep on praying for all of God's people. This is the word of the Lord.
7: To God.
0: The second was from an unlikely friend of Martin McGuinness. David Latimer is from the First Derry Presbyterian Church. He's a British Army chaplain. He's been out with the armed forces to Afghanistan. And yet he stood in the pulpit of a Catholic church at the funeral of a former IRA man wearing his British military ribbons saying goodbye to a friend.
3: Martin has bequeathed to us a better place to live. It was his commitment to create a new order of cooperation where we will be able to live in relationship and not out of relationship and get to know each other better. So, in memory of the man whose friendship I will always treasure, we must together, all of us, pledge to keep on doing what he was doing and to persevere in the pursuit of peace. Today we thank God for Martin McGuinness. And at some point in the future, ladies and gentlemen, I am looking forward as a result of God's amazing grace that's able to transform all of us. I'm looking forward to praising God with him in the heavenly places. Goera meela maia Martin.
0: The main eulogy was given by Bill Clinton, who, in short, still has it. He could bring a crowd from tears of laughter to tears of sorrow in about 30 seconds, if not less. He spent a full 60 seconds name-checking all the various dignitaries in attendance. He then tried to give the eulogy that Martin McGuinness may have given for himself.
6: They asked me to speak for three minutes. He could do this in 30 seconds. I could just hear him now. Here's my eulogy. I fought. I made peace. I made politics. I had a fabulous family that somehow stayed with me and endured it all. I had friends. I was married to Jerry almost as long as I was married to Bernie. Uh, uh, It turned out I was pretty good at all this and we got a lot done, but we didn't finish. And if you really want to honor my legacy, go make your own and finish. Finish the work of peace so we can all have a future together.
0: And after speaking at length about the journeys that McGuinness had taken and the risks he took, he quoted from the late man's favourite poet, another man from Foyleside.
6: A great son of Derry our friend Seamus Heaney in his Nobel Prize speech said the secret of his success was deciding to walk on air against your better judgement. Believe me. When the people who made this piece did it, every single one of them decided to take a flying leap into the unknown against their better judgment. It's about the only thing besides your faith and your love that makes life worth living. Our friend earned this vast crowd today. Even more. He earned the right to ask us to honour his legacy by our living, to finish the work that is there to be done. God bless you.
0: you. After the Church McGuinness was brought to the City Cemetery in Derry and buried in the Republican plot, just a few yards from a memorial to dead IRA members, there, a graveside oration was given by Gerry Adams.
7: But let me take issue with those in the editorial rooms, or in the political ivory towers who denounce Martin McGuinness as a terrorist. <laughs> Martin Dewarge and Pearshock at the grave of another Fenian. The fools, the fools, the fools. Martin cannot answer them back so let me answer for him. Martin McGuinness was not a terrorist. Martin McGuinness was a freedom fighter.
0: Adam said McGuinness now joined the pantheon of dead Republicans like the Easter Rising leaders and Bobby Sands. and He tried to turn McGuinness's death into a rallying call The people who wanted civil rights had to go out and take them. He finished with a fond farewell to a lifelong friend.
7: He will be missed by many, but Bernie will miss him more than anyone else. So farewell, Martin. Slán, acara. Slán, Gojo. We thank Martin McGuinness. He was a rebel. Up the rebels. <laughs> we salute Martin McGuinness. We applaud Martin McGuinness. He was a Republican. Up the republic.
0: So quickly after its death, it is difficult to fully assess the legacy of someone like Martin McGuinness. There were undoubtedly great things he contributed to the North. He helped to negotiate the Good Friday Agreement, which has led to almost 20 years of peace and a full power-sharing arrangement between the Unionist and Nationalist communities. But many would argue that those contributions were only necessary in part because what of... But many would argue that those contributions were only necessary partly because of what he had overseen beforehand although Mary, in turn would say that he only had to join the IRA because of how nationalists were second-class citizens in the first place. But suffice to say two things. Inside the church, Arlene Foster shook hands with Michelle O'Neill, the woman with whom she'll be sharing office if a government does ever get back up off the ground in Stormont. And likewise, Peter Robinson shook hands with Gerry Adams, something which didn't often happen, even when Robinson was in power with McGuinness. And for those still wrestling with the question of whether McGuinness's net contribution was for better or worse, perhaps we can dwell on the words of the opening prayer from Father Michael Canney.
4: Our funeral mass here today is a prayer. A prayer where we ask God to forgive Martin of his human weaknesses. And that through our prayers and our good works, that Martin may have those weaknesses forgiven and that in time enjoy the peace of heaven. 100-102
0: 100-102 to 102 Today FM This was the first week back on Irish soil after End of Kenny's big trip to the USA which, as you'll have heard on the last pod, was pretty much a total success. But despite that, it seems the Taoiseach's closest handlers aren't happy with how it's been portrayed in the Irish media. Now, their particular beef is with how the speech given by the Taoiseach in the East Room of the White House at the Shamrock Ceremony was covered. That, by the way, is the event that people at home were encouraging Kenny not to attend.
1: It's fitting that we gather here each year to celebrate St. Patrick and his legacy, he too, of course, was an immigrant. And though he is, of course, the patron saint of Ireland for many people around the globe, he's also a symbol of, indeed, the patron of immigrants. We believed in the shelter of America, in the compassion of America, in the opportunity of America. We came and we became Americans. We lived the words of John F. Kennedy Long before he uttered them, we asked not what America could do for us, but what we could do for America. And we still do.
0: Now, it's quite clearly a good speech. And at the time of recording, that speech is 31 million views on Channel 4's Facebook page. Uh, there was also widespread sharing of the article in the New York Times, which covered similar remarks at the Taoiseach's lunch on Capitol Hill. But the gripe of some is that the Irish media weren't nearly as flattering in their coverage as other people were. That was something that the Solidarity TD, McBarry, uh, by the way, Solidarity is now what the Anti-Austerity Alliance is called. He raised that in the Dole on Wednesday
4: export our products to. You, so any hindrance to trade will cause us very serious economic damage. Thank, Thank, you, Deputy, Thank you, I
8: Tishak, uh, I gather from media reports that you are put out that the positive media coverage you received internationally for the speech you gave last week in President Trump's presence wasn't replicated in Ireland. Tishak, uh, I think you had the benefit of Channel 4 and the New York Times not being too well acquainted with how your fine words in Washington square up to the reality in Ireland. Conversely the Irish media being aware of the manner in which undocumented migrants are treated in this state knew the ridicule they would be open to if they were as effusive as the international media. Because the reality in Ireland is that if a Saint Patrick were to arrive today in Ireland depending on his country of origin he could well find himself caught up in our inhumane and degrading And I would add, racist system of direct provision. I put it to you, Taoiseach, that ending the inhumane regime of direct provision might escape the attention of Channel 4 and the New York Times. However, it would be an act of infinitely greater significance than that speech in Washington uh, were it to be ended. And is it not the case that by not ending direct provision and providing a scale of amnesty the likes of which you correctly demand for the Irish and the US, you will be correctly seen by the 5,000 St Patricks in direct provision as being two-faced and hypocritical. Thank you Deputy Taoiseach, just over three minutes to respond if
1: you would please. I'm not interested really in the, in the um, comments of Deputy Barry here except to say that um, uh, Deputy Minister Staunton has done quite a deal of work in respect of the Mahan Report and I've asked him to consider having uh, a conversation here in the House when it's appropriate to and the changes that have been made, on the work that is being done, and on his um, his unceasing efforts to deal with the with the issue of um, with the issue of um, of direct provision.
0: Now, sadly, there's no audio available of an exchange the previous day when Breed Smith of People Before Profit raised the whole direct provision situation. Too, she mentioned in passing that the video then had 30 million hits. Kenny, in his reply, said, and I quote, "The matter to which the deputy referred might not have been reported at home." I understand the number of hits has gone beyond 50 million at this stage. That speaks for itself. He then added, People are listening somewhere else, but that is neither here nor there. Uh, We can only assume, by the way, that with the figure of 50 million, he's including the number of views that it got on other pages separate to that of Channel 4, which has done most of the lifting in that regard. Now, on top of all of this, there was also a low-profile incident this week where an RTE cameraman, who wasn't in Washington and had absolutely nothing to do with how that visit was covered, he was given out to by a senior handler to the Taoiseach while trying to cover Enda Kenny's attendance at a charity launch. But speaking at Martin McGuinness's funeral, even Bill Clinton took an aside to compliment Enda Kenny for his words.
6: As an American, I have to say a special word of appreciation to the sitting Taoiseach for what he said in the United States on St. Patrick's Day in behalf of the Irish Immigrant Commission.
0: Now, forgive me for just a second if I point out exactly what Today FM ran on the morning after the speech. And by the way, the same content was run on News Talk and was on the local news network, which is sent to local stations around the country. So what you're about to hear did get a fairly significant footprint on the morning of a bank holiday.
2: Conraditch. Ender Kenny last night launched another bid to normalise undocumented Irish in America, saying St. Patrick is the patron saint of immigration. He made the comments as he presented Donald Trump with a bowl of shamrock ahead of taking part in the New York Parade Today. From Washington, our political correspondent, Garvin Riley reports.
0: Donald Trump described Enda and Fanula Kenny as great people as he welcomed them to the White House last night, the second time of the day. Great
7: people, great people.
0: Inside, however, the Taoiseach offered a clearly loaded speech, making the case for the 50,000 illegal Irish here to be looked upon kindly.
1: He too, of course, was an immigrant. And though he is, of course, the patron saint of Ireland for many people around the globe, He's also a symbol
0: of, indeed, the patron of immigrants. Trump, for his own part, recognized the Irish were known as fighters and they'd continue to do so. With their grit and their bravery and their courage,
5: earning the nickname The Fighting Irish. And I know a lot about the Irish. They fight. They are tough. <laughs> I know a lot. I know more than I'm ever going to
0: tell you. Say the Taoiseach heads for New York, where he'll march in one of the oldest parades in the world. Gavin Riley, Today FM News at the White House. So, Kenny's comments weren't uncovered by any means, but I think that the level of coverage put forward by myself and other media colleagues who were there was perfectly appropriate, and anything more than that would have been a bit overkill. And here are some of the reasons, seven in fact, why I think the whole thing has been a little bit overblown. So, in seventh place, let's start in reverse order, real top-of-the-pop style. Seventh place, these comments are pretty much exactly the same comments that Enda Kenny has made every other year he's gone to Washington. The only differential context this time is that he's saying them to a different president. Now, obviously, that has its own significance. We will come back to that in a moment. But by definition, the news media are going to make news out of something which is new, And there was little new in the substance of what Enda Kenny had said. By the way, an Irish audience is completely au fair with the prospect that St. Patrick was in fact an immigrant and we understand the irony that we celebrate a National Day in honour of a person who was not themselves Irish. In sixth place, the two viral speeches are being conflated. As I said, Kenny gave one speech in the White House which has been showcased by Channel 4 and other Facebook pages, but that was also because it was covered by the news agency AP. Separately he made comments on Capitol Hill, which were those covered by the New York Times. Now, the substance of them is pretty much the same, but neither report covered the fact that this was a common theme from Enda Kenny, both on that day's visit and in previous years gone by, so this wasn't a singular act of baldiness. And that's important because the Capitol Hill line, when it was first delivered, this whole observation about St. Patrick being an immigrant, that came literally within an hour of Enda Kenny having invited Donald Trump to Ireland, which of course is going to be a far bigger story back at home. So, having relegated that angle earlier in the day as coming second to the idea of Trump visiting Ireland, we were hardly then going to prick our ears when the same thing was said a few hours later. And, as I said, the Trump invitation was new. It wasn't hinted at in advance, so it was always going to be the dominant story for an Irish audience. Fifth in this rundown, and not that I work for a newspaper... But Kenny's speech was delivered at half ten in the evening Irish time. Now we were given the script for it two hours earlier. That was precious little time to try and clear space in a newspaper for what may have been a ballsy speech later. By the same token, only the previous day, Kenny had given journalists the transcript of a speech that was to be delivered after newspapers went to print, and then withdrew it and issued a replacement. And he has an occasional tendency to go off script in the first place. So an expected version of a speech isn't sound enough to base a newspaper copy on. By the time the newspapers would have hit the shelves, the speech would have been long delivered and the comments might not have been included in them. Fourthly in the rundown, there was a distinct impression that, Enda Kenny's press office were a little bit taken aback and somewhat pleasantly surprised by how significantly all of this was being spun. Now, usually if there's a significant line in an Enda Kenny speech, it will be either delivered in bold lettering, it'll be highlighted for anyone to read in advance, or a press officer will do their best to subtly draw attention to the fact that it's in there and that that might warrant your attention. There was no such effort this time, but again, I think that's because what Enda Kenny was saying was not all that new. Number three in the rundown. As many have noted, including myself on this pod recently, we now have a growing body of lovely, eloquent, perfectly pitched speeches from Enda Kenny, which are followed by no action at all, and lead to very little concrete progress. See for example the Magdalene Laundry speech that he gave five and a half years ago, or his recent comments on mother and baby homes, where he was asked a question, gave a very eloquent speech, but failed to answer the questions about what we would do next. Now, Kenny undoubtedly is a better orator than most people in Ireland give him credit for, including, probably in fairness, a lot of the media. But given the air of departure about it all, and given the fact that we now have a growing body of evidence that a good speech does not mean good actions afterwards, there was little hope of Kenny managing anything concrete. Secondly in the rundown, if there was anything unique in the speech, it was the fact that it was Donald Trump to whom the speech was addressed, as I said a few minutes ago. But the context missed by these clips, which went viral, is that Donald Trump didn't appear to need to be convinced because he, too, talked about the contributions of the Irish to America. Just before Enda Kenny made his comments in the White House, Donald Trump gave a five-minute speech. What you're about to hear now is a two-minute excerpt from that speech.
5: Our strong ties go back throughout American history. Irish-Americans played a vital role in preserving our union during its hour of greatest need. So true played a very, very big role. Many distinguished themselves in the American Civil War, with their grit and their bravery and their courage, earning the nickname, the Fighting Irish. And I know a lot about the Irish, they fight, they are tough. (laughs) I know a lot, I know more than I'm ever going to tell you. And when American Armed Forces joined the fight in Europe during World War II 75 years ago, our heroic troops first stepped off ships in Belfast Harbor in Northern Ireland. Throughout the centuries, hardworking Irish Americans contributed mightily to America's innovation and to America's prosperity. They often overcame great hardship It's really, I mean, it's like the hardship they overcame for us, for our people, is inspiring and really helped a relatively young nation beyond what anyone really understands or knows. So we want to thank you. It's just an amazing, an amazing history. President John F. Kennedy, in an address to the Irish Parliament, said that it is that quality of the Irish, that remarkable combination of hope, confidence, and imagination that is needed more than ever today. Now, he said that a long time ago, but it's perhaps even more true today. The words of America's first Irish Catholic president ring just as true. We hope, confidence, and I tell you, what we want now is a lot of things, but we need that great Irish confidence. And they are confident people, aren't they, Mike?
0: (laughs) So if the story was interesting because Kenny was talking to Trump, Trump barely needed convincing. So it's not as if it was a ballsy speech against someone with hostile ears. And finally, at the top of the hit list... Do you remember Enda Kenny's whole defence for making this trip after he took Flack at home in the wake of the first botched travel ban issued by Donald Trump? Here's what Enda Kenny told the Dáil on January the 31st. There have been quite a
1: number of executive orders signed in the first 10 days of this presidency. I have condemned torture and waterboarding and breaches of human rights as a government around the world. Um, I have not written to the United States President because I intend to visit him in the Oval Office in the White House uh, and say my piece publicly both before and then.
0: That clearly laid down a marker for Enda Kenny to raise that travel ban, which, whatever about its legality, Ireland clearly finds immoral, and which is being implemented in Irish airports, albeit by US officials. We expected him to raise that when he got to the Oval Office. And then moreover, when Donald Trump issued a second travel ban, which kicked in on the very day Enda Kenny was due to visit, we would again expect it to be raised. Now recall again what you heard on the pod from last week. Outside the Oval Office, Enda Kenny was asked did he raise the travel ban
1: I, we, we discussed in a very constructive fashion the relationship between ireland and the united states ireland is a microcosm of the european union relations between europe and the united states for the mutual benefit of millions of people on either side of the atlantic and in that context i see real potential for a revised uh, trade negotiation for the time ahead.
0: Now you'll notice that Enda Kenny revised the question and answered a completely different one. We asked did he raise the travel ban? He talked about relationships between the Ireland and the United States. We learned later that Enda Kenny did not raise the topic of the travel ban at all during his one-on-one meeting in the Oval Office. So perhaps the measured coverage in the Irish press was fully appropriate and isn't it funny as a closing thought that none of the media figures who think that this visit was covered wrongly were actually there with Kenny on the trip for the whole time. Only the people who were with him for the full week knew exactly the context and the tone in which his remarks were being delivered. I'd like to think that we're the ones who might perhaps be best placed to judge whether it deserved the coverage it did. I stand by its coverage. I think it was worth covering that morning, but I don't think it was worth dropping everything over afterwards, and I certainly don't think it's worth picking a fight that some are now picking. 100 to 102 Today FM. That is our lot for this week and just before we go, a quick farewell to a friend who's leaving Today FM's shores this week. This Sunday is the last day at Today FM of Angela Flannery, formerly of her own newsroom here in Today FM and more recently also the producer of Neil Delamere's Sunday Best. Now, not only was Angela regularly in charge of the newsroom during other editors' leave but in her current role she was also the first producer that I ever had as a radio host. It was back in November 2015 that I did my first presenting shift here at Today FM. I was filling in for Neil Delamere on that Sunday. And she just could not have been lovelier or more supportive or more helpful. She has more than done her time in Today FM and we are all very sad to see her go. And on that note, it's also the last time that I'll be here just for a couple of weeks. Uh, This podcast will live on again in a few weeks' time. um, But I'm off regular news duty next week. I'm filling in for Matt Cooper on the last word. So that will keep me more than busy. And then I'll be off for a little while around Easter after that just recharging the batteries after the business of America and everything else I'll be back again in the saddle in a few weeks and who knows we might even then have been added to the iTunes store either way thanks as ever for taking the time to listen this week gav at todayfm.com is where you will get me with your thoughts feedback or anything else until next time I'm Gavin Riley and that was the week to 102 Today FM.